Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Let's talk about OPSEC. No, not the fun spycraft type stuff. We're talking about operation security or operational security, as a lot of folks say. Really, it's just a risk management as far as prepping, just managing your risks. And we do that in a lot of different ways, but we're going to talk about a couple of those today. Now, there are some on online forums and Facebook that preach not showing photos of your preps, your guns, ammo, anything else related to prepping. Some say others will know where to go when SHTF. Others might say they'll find you and take your stuff. Some almost freak out when we talk about prepping stuff on forums or what we personally have. So don't even tell someone you're prepping or that you have guns. And part of their excuse is you'll get on the feds list. You're already on the feds list, to be honest. And it's the same reason that some folks won't get a ham radio license. But if you have a driver's license, car tags, own property, have insurance, you're already on somebody's list in some way. We understand this. We understand operational security, not letting people know what you have or that you are a prepper, but we encourage others to become prepared. Whether you use the word prepper or not, you need to be prepared. We've made no secret of who we are. Our photos are on the internet. Our names, our photo and names are on the website. You can see who we are. Now, it doesn't list our home address, but it does tell you that we reside in North Alabama. We've also written two books that pretty much puts the word out that we're preppers. We host a podcast We use our real names. These are not pseudonyms. These are not hiding our identity. We have a Facebook page, Practical Prepping. Let's talk about general OPSEC, which is what some folks are talking about here with our general operational security. Now, this does come into play when you're talking about survival communities or you're talking about family bug out locations and the activities that you have going on. And I agree with not letting people see everything. Now, we encourage people to prepare for three weeks, then three months, then six months, then 12 months, etc. And so, as you can imagine, we are stocked up for several months of not being able to go to the grocery store, not being able to get out of the house. If we wound up with 48 inches of snow, we'd be okay through it. We have food, we have water, we have backup heat, we have backup cooking methods, we have alternative ways of doing most of the things that we might need to do. And yes, we have security to protect our family and to protect our property if necessary. Now, some of the things when we're talking about general operational security, one of the things that comes to mind is... And we've talked about this before, but make your house look less attractive to thugs, thieves, and looters. Don't be advertising. You know, we've talked about this and not having certain bumper stickers on your vehicle. 
You can also make sure there's extra vehicles parked there at the house to make it look like there are multiple people there. I think between us, we have six vehicles and two drivers in the house. So there's always vehicles parked there. And, you know, some of these, not that we collect vehicles per se, but some of these are the old work truck, the my dad's pickup truck just some extra vehicles that are there at the house and it makes it look like or would make it look like there are more people there at the house than there actually are. Now one of the things that you can do is add outside lighting. Thieves and thugs they really don't like the light. They want to stay in the shadows. So if you can light your house and I advocate having the lights pointed toward the house as well so that anybody passing by could see anybody creeping around the house, as well as pointing some lights out into the yard so that we can see out and see what's going on. You can add video cameras, even if it's the fake video cameras. If you have those, it tends to make a lot of folks not want to enter that house, but rather they'd go on somewhere else. So it's kind of a security measure. Now, I really do like the video cameras. Being in law enforcement, there's been quite a few times when the video cameras, the even a ring doorbell type camera, we've been able to identify the person that committed the burglary. So video cameras are very good to have. You can cut the bushes back, reducing the hiding places. You can plant sticker bushes. I'm thinking rose bushes here under the windows, something that will deter people. Thug's not going to want to climb through a rose bush to get to a window. So that's just some things that you can consider. And as you do your landscaping, consider some of that. Holly bushes have stickers on them, and those types of landscaping tend to protect those windows. You can also, when we talk about OPSEC around your house, is situational awareness. What's going on around you? Are you paying attention to sounds outside when you're sitting there reading, when you're doing nothing else in particular, or you're surfing the internet? Are you paying attention to sounds that may be outside? One of the things that we pay attention to, we have two cats, and those cats like to help us podcast. Some of you have heard them as they will come up and purr into a microphone, or they will brush against something. They tend to get in the way, but... When we're sitting there, we pay attention to those cats when their behavior becomes a little bit out of the ordinary. Most of the time, what we find is that there's a possum on the back porch and they have perked up and they'll get up on the back of the couch and they'll look out the window onto the back porch. But they will also, their behavior will change if someone pulls up in the driveway. We have noticed that the cat's behavior would change and they would actually go toward that particular back door. And then in just a minute, somebody knocks on the door. It's usually somebody we're expecting. Most folks call us before they come to the house, and that's a pretty good policy to have is if you're going by somebody's house, give them a call, let them know I'm going to drop by, something like that. But having that situational awareness as you come and go around your house is important too. Are there hiding places around the entryway that somebody could be hiding to ambush you as you enter the house? 
is something out of place as you're pulling up. And we're going to do a full podcast on situational awareness here before long. And another one that we're going to do, and this is a good time to practice the gray man or woman. You want to blend in. You want to look like anybody else in the neighborhood as you're coming in and out of your house. And we're going to be doing a gray man episode coming up very soon. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you about a couple of books that you need to add to your collection and give as gifts. I highly encourage that you go to Amazon and look up this title, Making Contact During Emergencies. This is information that may save your life or the life of someone you care about. If injured, lost, or found in a disaster or another type of emergency. This book was written by Mark and Krista Lolly. I'm Krista and Mark is my husband. Book number two that we wrote that we're especially proud of and has gotten a lot of buzz is entitled Practical Prepping for Everyday People. This is a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies. And when we say practical prepping, we mean the type of emergencies you're going to find yourself in day in and day out. Car emergencies, dead batteries, flat tires, storm damage, the roof has gotten blown off, you find that you have no power, no electricity, no devices are working. These kinds of things are happening to somebody somewhere every single day. And we were astonished when we did a little research to find that a vast majority of people found themselves woefully unprepared for one or more of these types of emergencies. And particularly after this COVID year that we've experienced, I think a whole lot more of us are paying closer attention to things like grocery store supply chains, the ability to be able to buy gas, the ability to be able to move freely about, or what's going to happen if we do have to stay home for three weeks solid. Practical Prepping for Everyday People by Mark and Krista Lawley, also making contact during emergencies. Go to Amazon, look these up, add these to your collection. We sure appreciate it. Now let's talk about mission OPSEC. We talked about general OPSEC, having security for the general operation for our prepper activities and things like that. But let's talk about some mission OPSEC. And this is where some of the fun, the spy craft type stuff can come in. Let's talk about radio communications. Now, when you as a group are communicating back and forth, and that's very important to have mission communications, we do it in law enforcement, the military does it, your group should be doing it if you're not. But let's talk about those communications and remember that everything transmitted can be monitored, especially when we're talking about some of the lower end radios that don't get into encryption and such. And for the purposes of this discussion, we'll use the Beofang radio. That radio seems to be the most popular in the prepper community, and there's some good reasons for that. Price is one. It's a dual-band, dual-watch radio, which just simply means that it will watch two frequencies at the same time. And when I say watch, I'm talking about monitor. And so you can have it monitoring two frequencies. If someone talks on one of those frequencies, it will stop on that. It's basically scanning between the two. So it will monitor or watch two frequencies at a time. These radios can be used as ham radios, which is what they're actually type accepted for. 
They can be used in the FRS frequencies, the GMRS frequencies. They operate UHF and VHF. And that's going to come into play here in a few minutes in some of our mission operational security. One of the things that you can do, and we're talking about mission OPSEC here. We're not talking about daily use, but you can use codes in normal times. Codes are not allowed on ham radio. Nothing is allowed to obscure your transmissions. However, there are some things you can do, even today, even using your ham radio, if you're talking to your family. Our family has several operators, ham radio operators, and we could easily have some code words, coded locations. Aunt Jenny's house. You know, you can say, Mom, I'm going to Aunt Jenny's house. Well, you may not have an Aunt Jenny. That may be a code for a particular point. If you're working on uh, some type of mission training, possibly using your bug out location, you could call that home. I'm going home, and that means that I'm going to the headquarters, or I'm going to the campsite, or I'm going back to the bug out location, something like that. One couple even used dad's work. Dad's work did not mean where he was employed. It meant the garage that was there. You know, I'll be at dad's work. That was, I'll be at a garage. You could use shop. You could use garden. You could use where dad does his hobbies or whatever. But you can use those kinds of code words and actually use those today. Yes, it's obscuring the intent of the message, but you're not going to have somebody saying, hey, that's an illegal transmission. It obscured the meaning because they're not going to know what that meaning actually is. They're not going to know that home meant the bug out location, something like that. In SHTF, grid down, rule of law, nobody's coming after you. The government is shut down from an EMP, from a CME, from some type of nuclear disaster or whatever. You can use codes, grids, numbering system. You can use all kinds of alphanumeric codes. Just use your imagination to set these up. As kids, we used to use code to each other, and I'm, I'm talking 11, 12 years old, and A was 1, B was 2, C was 3, all the way down through Z being 26. You could use that type of code, but don't go as simple as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. You would need to have a more complicated coding system for that, but it could easily be done. There have been many that have used a code based on the same book. You know, you could have Little Women, or you could have To Kill a Mockingbird. You could have any particular book, as long as both of you have the same edition, so that the page numbers, page layout, everything about it is the same. Heard one guy talking about buying code books for his group, and he went into the bookstore and he bought 16 copies of Catcher in the Rye. Nobody's going to buy 16 copies to read. Obviously, they were to give out to somebody, and it never came up with him. But they used Catcher in the Rye. The code is based on that book. And when they're transmitting, they would transmit the page number, the number to the letter, then the number to the next letter. And as an example, 
We're on page 16, the 15th letter. You write that letter down, that might be an A. And then the fourth letter after that might be an N. And then the 22nd letter after that might be a D. They're just sending numeric codes, writing that down, and then going back and translating that message. But again, it must be the exact same edition. And you're secure in that, in that the book is never mentioned. You never mention the name of the book. You never mention the edition or something like that. Now, honestly, the government does have computers that can break this kind of code, but how much is the government really going to be investing in looking for a survivor group trying to decode our messages? If the government wanted to find us, they'd use air, they would use uh, heat-seeking, FLIR, or something like that. They'd be able to locate us and then bring in 150 troops and find us with no problem. Now, this method is slower than a lot of other methods. It does take longer transmissions, but you can send much more detailed information. There's a way that you can do this by making a list of phrases. And then you establish contact, and you can use verification codes. Anything that lets you know that you are talking to the right person, and they are talking to the right person, so that everybody knows that we're on the same page. We're transmitting and receiving by who needs to be transmitting and receiving. And this code goes something like this, and let's just say that after we've confirmed that it is the proper person, let's say that Bob transmits 1, 3, 12. That's his whole transmission. Joe transmits 2, 17, nine, and then Bob transmits after that, nine, 22, MWQ, six, eight, and Joe transmits five, seven. All right, let's go back and look at this. Bob transmitted one, three, and 12. The first phrase is no unexpected activity, all safe. Three is do you need anything? 12 is we have harvested meat to trade. So Bob has says, we're fine. Everything's good. Do you need anything? We have meat to trade. Joe transmits two, 17, nine. Two is we are safe. 17 is we have vegetables to trade. Nine means meat for trade. Now, keep in mind, these are phrases that have been Agreed upon, everybody has a list of these. You're just able to keep your transmission short. Now, when we go back to Bob's second transmission of 922MWQ68, 9 is meat for trade, 22 is meat at, and then the MWQ is a location code. Maybe they've described meeting at the old barn. Maybe they're meeting by the bend in the river. Maybe they're meeting at the old well. Whatever those agreed upon places, they are able to do that. And then Joe transmits back five, seven, understood, agreed. So now what they've done is Bob's group has harvested meat. Joe's group has vegetables and they've set up an agreed upon time and place without transmitting either one of them more than about three seconds 
makes it harder to triangulate, makes it harder to figure out what they're doing. You know, you can imagine some other group that would want to come and take the vegetables and the meat. So we've got operational security here or mission security for what we need to do. Now, here's another thing that you can do is you can work split operation. Now, this happens in the ham radio community quite regularly. I mean, every day. Some of these foreign DX, some of the folks will be transmitting on one frequency and listening in another frequency. One of the reasons this happens in ham radio is the frequency limits, the band limits, are not exactly the same all the way around the world. And so one operator may be wanting to talk to the United States But he may not be able to talk in a particular band space. And so he will operate, he's transmitting, and he says, listening on and gives a frequency. That frequency may be in another area. And one of the things that happens is that one operator in the United States may be operating and may be looking for a foreign country that that country cannot transmit in the one that he is transmitting, but he knows they can receive. So he says he's listening at, say, a higher particular frequency so that the other operator knows that he can hear me on this frequency, I can hear him on that frequency. You can use the very same thing with even your little Beofang. Remember I said the dual watch? You can monitor two frequencies at the same time. You can put one on a UHF channel, one on a VHF channel. Now, most of the time when somebody's scanning, if they're just scanning the frequencies, they're scanning all UHF or they're scanning all VHF. So if you're transmitting on UHF and listening on VHF, Then your buddy does the opposite. He transmits on VHF and listens on UHF. That way, nobody is able to hear both sides of the conversation. And an example here, you could use uh, FRS Channel 4, and you could use GMRS Channel 2. So you're transmitting on FRS, and you're receiving on GMRS. And it just frustrates the scanning process on the other end of somebody that's trying to listen to you. Another thing you can do when we're talking about mission OPSEC is have a list of frequencies and codes for prearranged changes. You could do this where first time we transmit, we're going to be on this frequency. Second time we transmit, we're going to be on this frequency. Third time it's going to be on this frequency. And so your frequency hopping and making it very difficult for people to be able to find you. Now, when we talk about this, we need to talk about keeping those transmissions short. Now, I realize that's hard to do when you're using a book with the letters, but, you know, you just have to make that decision. But when you're talking about mission security, you're out in the field, especially with your team doing operations, keep those transmissions short. It makes triangulation more difficult. And realizing that, again, the feds have a way to triangulate almost instantly. They have the resources they can dedicate to this, and they might have two or three units out, and they can each, it just takes a moment for them to be able to shoot a bearing on that. And so they will communicate with each other. They draw their map, and where those three lines intersect, that's where you were. 
But keep in mind that it's not just the feds that can do this. Ham operators do fox hunting. We go out just for fun. We triangulate. And it's it's a simple system, and it's easy enough. My antenna that I've used for fox hunting is made out of a piece of PVC pipe and a tape measure. And all you're doing is making a Yagi to receive on that particular band. So I've got a two-meter Yagi that I made out of PVC and dedicated a tape measure and cut it up and put it the right lengths and the right distances apart. And it makes a very, very good triangulation antenna. So be aware that others can do this as well and find your location if they're willing to put in the amount of work that it would take. And that's a good reason to rotate your transmitting locations. It's very frustrating trying to do a fox hunt if the fox is moving. When we do fox hunts, the fox stays in one point, transmits from the exact same location every time, usually for one minute out of every five minutes. But if you're moving a half a mile each time you transmit, very difficult to be able to triangulate that. And it plays more into luck than it does into skill in being able to find it. So if you're really concerned about your mission security, then move or rotate your locations and move about a half mile each time. The most secure way of communication is verbal runners. Uh, This was used a lot in the Civil War, in the Revolutionary War. Everything before radios came on the scene is that they would send a runner. And usually the general would send two in case one got captured. And it might be a coded message that he was sending. Sometimes it would be on paper. Sometimes it would be verbal, just depending on the needs of the general at the time. Another thing that you can use is dead drops. Honest-to-goodness spies do this all the time. They drop the canister of film in a particular location and the handler knows where to pick it up or the handler drops something in a location and the spy knows where to pick it up and in that with the dead drops often they will use a signal because it's not done every day at the same time things like that and it might be as simple as the potted plant will be sitting on this particular location on the porch if there is a message If there's no message, it'll be sitting over here. The average person is not going to pick out that just that that plant has been moved from one end of the porch to the other, but it means something to somebody that sees it. So you can develop signals to use between family members, between groups, and it could be as simple as, as parking the car pointed out of the driveway versus pointed into the driveway. As long as everybody knows what those signals mean, you can do that. But operational security is something that we do need to be aware of. We need to practice. We need to put into place. And if we're looking at mission op, then the entire team needs to be on the same page when it comes to our transmissions, our communications. And we'll list this, some of this in the show notes and let you be able to go back and reference that if you want to. And eventually, we'll put this on the website as an article. So we appreciate you being here with us today, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast today, and please leave us a five-star review. That helps more people be able to hear this podcast. Share it with your friends and family. 
You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. Email at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And as always, remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.